And welcome to Coming Home Well. This is Tyler, and I do want to thank you so much for listening. But I do want to ask you a question Do you know of an organization doing awesome work for our veterans and their caregivers, or have a topic that you want to know more about? We don't know what we don't know, and so we thought we would reach out and ask you about any suggestions for coming up shows. At, you can always email us those suggestions at comminghomewell at gmail.com. It's comminghomewell, all one word, and we will do our best to make it happen. And now we have a chance to talk with United Soldiers and Sailors of America. What a great organization. Welcome back to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Tyler Piron, and today we are talking with a new organization, and they do some really quite amazing things. A lot of organizations do one thing, and they do it might very might do it very well. Now, this organization that we're talking to, we're talking with John Yori. He's the president of United Soldiers and Sailors of America, which I love the name, and I love their logo. So if you go on their website, it's it's a really cool logo. But they do a lot of neat things to help veterans come home well. Now, their mission isn't say come home well, but that is really what they're doing. So without any further ado, welcome to the show, John. Well, thank you, uh, Tyler. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and discuss my organization with you. Thank you. So let us talk. What is United Soldiers and Sailors of America? Where did you get started? Where are you founded? Okay, great. Yeah, we call it USASOA, pronounce it USOA. And we started actually nine years ago. We're a military and veteran service organization and a charity. We're actually, we're all of us, including our board of directors, myself, staff members, we're all volunteers, so none of us get a paycheck. This is what we like to call, quite honestly, our second full-time job. And it is extremely rewarding that we're able to affect the lives of so many veterans and service members, tens of thousands of them, over the past nine years. And that in itself has its own unique, uh, special self-reward built right into it as well. And our volunteers, too. I mean, they actually see that because, and I'll explain it a little further, our unique, streamlined, grassroots programs and services. We believe in direct engagement. We get our boots out on the ground and we get the job done. So we started out, myself and a good buddy of mine as a U.S. Navy vet, Chris McDonald. Chris actually was stationed, his last station was up before he got out of the Navy, was up at uh, Walter Reed Military Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. And I was actually up there too. And I saw actually before going to that, I I was actually at Walter Reed when it was, if anybody remembers this, back in the day, not too long ago, when it was on Georgia Avenue in D.C. And I believe one of the news stations, one of the networks actually did an expose on the horrible conditions that existed in Walter Reed at that time. The ceilings were falling in. There was mold everywhere. John, I know all about it because I was at Walter Reed getting medically retired at that time. Oh, my God. And it's like so so I know all about it. 
<laughs> yeah, we have buses coming up from Andrews Air Force Base like two, three times a day, bringing home wounded with amputees and all kinds of problems. And when I was there, there were just gurneys. And as you probably remember, gurneys of guys just laying in the hallways. And so that how did that not affect you, you know? And so I was on my way up to, I forgot what floor it was on, but they every, as you know, too, then every military hospital has an American crossroads station. God bless them. Where you can go get snacks, you can get toiletries, you can get, you know, books, whatever they have there, to whatever you might need, essentials. And I went up there, it was nothing more than a closet. Again, no one expected for us to have such a high influx of injured coming back from the war. We did, it was all due to IED explosions. And uh, no one expected this. It was not prepared. We were not prepared for it. And uh, so they had, to, uh, all these guys had to be slammed back into what were normal conditions. We just weren't ready. So anyway, I met Chris and we saw firsthand what the need was for essentials. I mean, anything from bottled water to razors, to toiletries, to snacks, to books. Kindles at that time were very famous. We're talking 20 years ago. We're very famous. So we started, we were in DC and we said, hey, you know what? We know some bar owners around. We know some veterans that own some bars in DC. Why don't we get gather with everybody and do a happy hour or a night a military appreciation night and have everybody bring yeah, an item from the list or a couple items from the list that we would make. And it would have, again, everything on there, like toiletries, snacks, whatever, books. And if you brought something in, you got a ticket for a free drink. Wow, that exploded. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. We had more stuff. We loaded up a U-Haul truck and we still have pictures of it. And took it up. That's how much stuff we had to bring up there. And free uh, drinks. That sounds like a yeah, great right? start. <laughs> Never even considered that as an option of yeah. fundraising. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, it really took hold in the DC area. We had people reaching out to our owners were reaching out to us saying, Hey, I'm not a vet, but hey, we want to host you here. You know, and they chipped in 10, 15 percent of their sales for the night. So we would go over to Walmart and, and uh, Sam's Club big box stores and just load up stuff and haul it up to Walter Reed. So again, just the, the sheer amount of satisfaction, self-satisfaction you get in doing something like that, helping others, especially service members that gave so much for us and were over there and fought and lost, lost. We lost lives. We also lost people that came back with PTSD and other sorts of issues that they have related to you know combat or service related. I should say, too. So that's where we kind of got our start. We saw that some of the guys were falling through a safety net and we jumped in there to try to catch them. So, yeah, that's so where you we got started. And because yeah. you, you, there was a huge need and yeah. you know they, they were hemorrhaging and people doing their best with terrible conditions. Oh, yeah, Walter Reed, they knew was shutting down. They mm-hmm. wouldn't invest in it. And they could kind of do this, kind of do that. And but. In reality, it was terrible. And then, you know, these these guys are falling through the cracks because they're getting treatment, but they're not really getting the supervision, care, love and feeding. They were like, hey, you're here for treatment. And they were let loose. And of course, a lot of them got in trouble or Mm -hmm. started drinking or because they had nothing to do all day. Right. And then they're getting some help. But you guys didn't stop there. You guys said, hey, you got some supplies. That's our first goal. Right. How did this evolve? Yeah. Yeah. And then it just it it really kind of ballooned because we got we got noticed. And they're like, hey, these guys can get it done quickly. 
So we literally had lists coming every month from not only Walter Reed, but then Fort Belvoir chimed in. And the rest of them started calling and saying, hey, we got a list too. Quickly, we started working with the volunteers at the American Red Cross at the hospitals. And they would help put on these events. And it it just kind of, it just took off. It was just absolutely amazing. One thing led to another. We decided, hey, what are the hot button issues, the challenges facing our veterans coming home? And as the wars started to ease up, we weren't getting so many back. We started having what we would call morale boosting events as well. Since I think 2015 was our first one, we call it barbecue for our heroes. And we go every summer month up to Walter Reed. And of course, you've been there. There's Building 62, which is called Tranquility Hall. It houses all of our amputees while they're there doing surgery and therapies and things like that. The building's amazing. And uh, it's just huge. And we there's a barbecue area outside. We go up every month during the summer since 2015, minus COVID. And we put on a traditional American barbecue. All our volunteers would go up. We have businesses want to join us. Other organizations want to join us, which was great. So share the love. And yeah, we would literally take money out of our own pockets to do this. So we're hoping now since we're post-COVID, we can get back to that program. But we started, once you get into serving veterans and serving service members, because we do both, we also affect the lives of what we said, our military community and our and our veteran community. And that uh, is a big distinction. The guys that are still serving, true. you think yeah. that they get all the services that they need, but that's so it's, often not the case. It's not. It's not. And there's veterans, as you well know, too, that for whatever reason, uh, aren't getting full benefits, whatever their separation was, how long they served, that sort of thing. People think it's such a monolithic situation where every, the government's taking care of them. Why do I need to do anything? That's such a misnomer. It's such a falsehood because it's just not true. We have a lot of them that, again, for various reasons, don't get full benefits. And there's some that have just, again, just fallen through the cracks. And we started to see that more often than not. And unfortunately, we see that ever more clearly today, even from when we first started, which is very unfortunate. And Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. But if you get them early, and this is something we talk about a lot in our organization is trying to help the veteran or the soon to be veteran, which is often Mm -hmm. the case when they're at Walter Reed, they're transitioning. And that is a super scary time because a lot of them, that is the life they know. But they don't have that support network right around them. And they've got a lot of free time, but they're not well. And they're trying to figure out all this transition. And it's where people fall through the cracks because they don't have that committed leadership around them that have known them that are doing all the things. And this is where your organization does some really cool stuff. Like the barbecue, that's so spot on Americana. Like it's normal. Yep. And it's and what you realize, too, is that a lot of the veterans we're dealing with are in their early 20s. They signed up early. A lot of them come from, we had to remember also, they come from middle class to working class families. They do not, they're, they're not exposed to a lot. They never had a lot of money. They had the basics, probably. But you hear all their stories. These are guys that come from Kansas. They come from the South. They come from the Bible Belt. They come from Oklahoma. And when they're here, they've been wounded. They're here at Walter Reed. The families don't have don't have a credit card. Hey, I'm going to put $1,000 on an airplane ticket. I'm going to Maryland to Walter Reed to see my son. 
and we're going to pay for our hotel and everything. They just don't have those resources. So we have these, when I call them kids, because that's what they were. They're here. They're scared. They're missing a leg. They're in pain. And then they're also dealing with the psychological effect of it. So by us coming in there and having a full array of volunteers from older church ladies who come with us to young guys and young enlisted personnel that are here or whoever you might be, because we do have a very, very cool cross-section of volunteers. I mean, we really reflect the, the nation and who we are as a nation and our diversity. We're proud of that. And when we come in there, they see, you know, younger guys, they see they might be able to talk to an older lady that might be like their grandma or something like that. So that is very consoling. It's very comforting for them to see that, to experience that. Plus the food is fantastic. But yeah, yeah it's, it's not just the food. It's the situation. I'm Robert. It, exactly. Yeah, that's finding yeah. your tribe. We talk mm-hmm. about that. And when you're out and you're by yourself, even though you're with other people, you can be lonely in a crowd. Sure. And, and, and getting that connection is so awesome. Yeah. And one thing you just mentioned too, Tyler, which is very important, is to get them before they're in crisis. And, a lot, and, and unfortunately, people do wait to, to the very last minute. Uh, we work very closely with the Department of Veterans Affairs, especially here in the D.C., Maryland, and Northern Virginia area. And in particular, there's a community resource center of the Department of Veterans Affairs here in Northeast. And I work very closely with the director of the Veterans Affairs. And there's times because of our presence online now that we get phone calls from veterans that, hey, I'm calling you. Some lady just gave me her phone so I could call you. I found your number. Uh, I need help. I'm on the street. My wife kicked me out, whatever the situation I'm homeless. What can you do for me? I get their information, call Kevin. He figures it out where they are, how we can help. Boom, we get them. We get them the resources that they need right away. We do that also through one of our initial programs was what we call the Wounded Defenders of Freedom Fund. And we literally will pay if they need food, if they need shelter. We got to catch them up on their rent, or whatever the situation might be. We've actually stopped evictions. We've actually stopped turnoff notices for electricity. We provided fuel. Uh, home heating fuel for veterans. We've done quite a few things through that program, and we can only do it because people donate to it. And again, every dollar that goes into it goes right back out again in the form of that service. So we're not, we don't get a paycheck. The money you're donating in goes right back out again. John, this is so cool because like, I see it all the time. Veterans don't want to ask for help. Right. And then They wait until it's like literally a huge crisis. They're on the street. They're about to be evicted. They can't feed their kids, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then the organizations aren't there. Right. But you guys are. And that is really a cool thing. I saw one thing where you guys will even set them up. They're out in the middle of nowhere because I used to live in the middle of nowhere. Like Mm -hmm. it took me an hour to get to the nearest grocery store. And if I didn't have a car... I was S-O-L. There wasn't even like a a bodega or 7-Eleven or Mm -hmm. something where I could go get it like a food desert. It was literally like an hour by car to a grocery store, maybe 20 minutes to a gas station. But then you guys set them up with an Amazon store because you can get that stuff delivered now. Yeah, exactly. And even before Amazon was popular, this was like nine years ago. What we would do, and if you go to greaternonprofits.org, we have, I think, several dozen reviews from vets that we helped across the country. And we've maintained a five-star rating with them for, for, since we've been around. 
And there was one in particular when we first started the Wounded Defenders of Freedom Fund that I'll never forget, Tyler. It was so emotional. You know, I get this phone call. I'm actually ready to, to leave. It was like five o'clock. And I get this phone call and I came from Ohio and I see that screen and lady, she's, she starts talking and she goes, Hey, look, she says, I just found your number online. She said, I'm calling. She goes, I've called everybody else from, she named every other organization she could to try to get help. And she's going on and on. She's getting frustrated as she's talking. And I'm thinking, I'm wondering what's wrong with her. And uh, she's telling me, look, she goes, my husband has PTSD. He's missing two legs. And she said, I don't know what else to do. She says he has also has TBI and which is traumatic brain injury for those who don't know that. And she goes, you know, I got three kids here right now. She goes, I've got a seven, a nine and a 12 year old. She goes, I got one can of uh, chicken noodle, Campbell's chicken noodles soup in the cabinet right now. She goes, I don't know what else to do. No one's helping me. She goes, we do get, I said, what about, you know, start talking. I said, what about your income, your check? She goes, yeah, the check was, she goes, we haven't gotten a check in two months. I've been calling them and calling them. I get to run around, finally get somebody that says, oh, yeah, there was a com- computer glitch. It's going to take us three more months to get you a check. She goes, I don't have three months because I don't have food right now. And she was in the upper part of Ohio, in the middle of nowhere, like you said. And she goes, I can't get anybody even on the phone when I call. She goes, I guess you're going to hang up on me too. And I said, well, where are you located? I'm trying to keep her calm. I said, where, what city are you in? I said, well, what's your address, by the way? What's your phone? I'm trying to pull information to keep her calm, but she's getting more excited. And she's thinking, you're not going to be able to help me. No one else has. And I said, and I asked her, all right off the cuff, I said, do you have, again, this was nine years ago before, again, before Amazon got popular and, or before there was like next day and all that. And I said, what about, I said, do you have a Walmart around you? She said, yeah, there's one about 40 miles from me like that. I said, is it the Walmart that has food and it's a grocery store? They call it a super center. She goes, yeah. She goes, sometimes we used to be able to go there. And I said, all right. And she goes, why? Like that. And I said, hang on. I said, don't go anywhere. And we worked with Walmarts and uh, Sam's Clubs. And so we got a hold of the manager close to her house at that particular one. I found out where it was. And we sent we call the manager, say, hey, we're sending you a $500 gift card. I'm going to give you the name. The lady's going to give you her, her, her license and you're going to give her the card so she can go shopping right away. So he goes, cool, everything's good. Get back on the phone with her. And I told her and she started crying. Of course wow. she did. I mean, yeah. that's that's like out of the nowhere. You're like yeah. so desperate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and she that's literally that's these, stop you know. Oh, she wouldn't stop crying for like five minutes. I was like. Because I needed to tell her, give her the rest of the information. That she was now do the logistics, but she's so overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the hard part is that we're so used to, oh, the veteran will ask for help. Well, right. often it's not the veteran that is going to be the one reaching out. It's going to be the wife or the husband or the kid who's dealing with an older veteran that doesn't know the system and the processes and who to call. And they call everybody and everyone's like, no, that ain't us. Right, right. That's what she was telling me. And and I said, you're calling other organizations or whoever it is. I said, you're basically... You're talking, if you're talking to a large organization, you're not going to be talking to someone on the phone that can help you right away. There's a process through which they have to put you through. As if with us, it's a little bit different. We verify who you are because we're responsible to our donors. 
I said, and that's pretty easy to do, especially if you're connected with the VA. And it's, it's not a difficult process. I said, but our biggest point was to be very streamlined that we would have this kind of a direct, and we call it direct and meaningful impact, that when someone like that calls who's at their, their, the end of their rope, we're there to pull them back. And um, then we work with them. And actually, we sent them off to disabled American veterans who helped them, DAV helped them, you know, scroll through all the complications of why they didn't get their check. And we stayed with them. We just didn't give them $500 and let them go away. We worked with them, had a case study with them and uh, got them back on their feet. And and we check in from time to time and they're doing fantastic. See, that is the kind of stories that warms my very cynical heart. But you serve for a while, you get kind of cynical. Yeah. But these are the kind of things that are so important that getting the help to those who need it when they need it, even if they don't really know how to ask. Right. And that is the hardest part, right? Yeah. Yeah, we know the basics. Everybody hears about these things. It's pro forma. But who do I turn to and when I can't heat my house in the middle of a Ohio winter or feed my kids? Mm-hmm. Those are immediate Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And everything else stops until I can take care of those things. So you guys have the Wounded Defenders of Freedom Fund. So that is a tre- tremendous thing. But that's not all you do. Oh, gosh, no, no. Again, it's kind of ballooned into what we saw the need. And and again, over the past nine years, what we've committed ourselves to was to always being there on the front line, knowing what the need was and being able to change our programs and services to meet their need, not to create a program or a service in the hope that we're meeting the need of a service member, their family, or a veteran, but literally getting, doing our due diligence, they say, and getting in there and finding out what is it that you need? What's most, what's the greatest thing in your life right now? And then create the program and service around that to satisfy that need and to move them on. So we've had, while some of the programs that we've had, uh, what we call our flagship programs from the beginning, we have others that have come about because we saw the need being experienced for it and not the other way around. So even like we've um, done with funerals now, when veterans die and they don't have a next of kin, we claim the body because we are VSO. Legally, a VSO, a friend can't, if a friend of yours passes away and he's a vet or whoever it is, but particularly a veteran and he has no next of kin, no one, no one can claim that body. So what ends up happening is that they'll go, the state will go around and try their best for about a month to find someone. If they can't, that body unfortunately goes to the anatomy board for dissection. So we got a phone call a couple of years ago and a vet in our area had passed. And again, same situation. So he was due that night to go to the anatomy board. And because we're a VSO, legally, we were able to claim his body and we did. And we gave him the proper dignified burial that he deserved. So again, that was seeing what the need was out there. And we worked with funeral homes. They helped out. Just tell them what's going on. And there's good people out there that want to continue to do good work. And unfortunately, all you hear nowadays in the media and wherever is all the negativity. And there's so much good out there that's being done by so many people not only our organization, but so many other organizations that we partner with and that we're glad to see doing just as much good work as we are, you know. John, I never knew that. I've talked to 
dozens, hundreds. I, I don't even know how many different organizations, but yeah. I've never heard that a VSO could claim yeah. a veteran. You know, like that's what I love talking about different organizations. Mm-hmm. You saw a need, you, you heard about it and just did it. And that yeah. is the coolest part about these very flexible organizations mm-hmm. that with one overriding mission, let's help veterans. And it's not my job. That's right. the number one thing you, you hear a lot of, not necessarily in, in uh, nonprofits, but in government and everywhere yeah. else is that ain't my job. And I don't know who you should call. Right. Right. You guys and just jump in. Yeah. And there's times where we can help someone, but you know what? We don't let them go. We, we stay with them and say, we're going to work with you to find out who can help you. Instead of just saying, I can't help you. That's not what we do. We, we'll work with that person and find out the organization or, or the government agency that can work with them and help them through whatever crisis they're in. So that's very important. We believe in, I think, what does it say? One mission, one fight, you know? So together we can accomplish great things. And so you guys do some other really cool things yeah. like advocate for veterans. Yeah, we do. We do advocacy on uh, Capitol Hill. We started with the late Senator John McCain. Very proud to know that hero. And we worked at his office with some programs, especially some legislation, veteran legislation, and also with some military legislation. And through that, worked with Senator Gary Peters to help pass the uh, Veterans First Act with other organizations. So we actually work with uh, what's called a coalition of team effort right now with other organizations like Wounded Warrior Project, BFW, all the big six even many of the small organizations like ourselves that are out there have joined in. I think there's the team has the coalition team has about 40 some BSOs right now. So uh, we're doing a lot of work with legislation for burn pit victims right now and uh, moving legislation forward to help to help them in their greatest need. Because that is a huge issue right now that veterans are not being taken care of that are experiencing illnesses due to toxic inhalation from those burn pits over in Afghanistan and Iraq. So we do a lot of work with that right now. Uh, a lot of it, fortunately, we used to be able to go up on the hill. It's now coming back again. So we're going to start to have face-to-face conversations. But we would be out there every two weeks. We have our office on Capitol Hill, uh, so we're right there in the middle of things, so we can run to a senator's office within a few minutes and push some legislation. It's you a know, lot harder to ignore people. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot harder with, to ignore people when they're right there looking yeah, you in the eye going, what are you going to do for this veteran or these veterans on this? I actually saw some really great news about the burn pit registry, the airborne particulate, whatever they're calling yeah. it now, where they're doing presumptive yeah. for, for asthma. Two yeah, two yeah. weeks ago. And I got an email the other day because I was one of the people who signed up and they're like, because you signed up and we've been tracking this, mm-hmm. asthma, sinusitis and rhinitis are right. now presumptive if you served over in Iraq or Afghanistan or those parts, exactly. which is huge. I well, mean, that's that is because, that's yeah, so that's hard. Yeah, and, exactly. and it's because of folks like you and these coalitions, because it's really hard. I was talking a little bit earlier about all these different organizations and they really reflect their membership, which is awesome. Yeah. But a lot of the big organizations, well, most of their membership is older. And so yeah. their needs and what they're trying to get done is really for the older vets. Well, we've been in Iraq, you know, and Afghanistan for 20 years now. And 
it's crazy to think that we've been in war this long and we're now getting to where we're like, hey, these things are caused by X, mm-hmm. like burn pits. Like, it's common sense, but they're like, oh, we don't have the science. Well, how about y'all go sit around a burn pit and collect yeah, for a while? Yeah, you don't need the science <laughs> Right. But getting the advocacy on Capitol Hill yeah. of people that are willing to go and look folks yeah. in the eye and go, what can you do about this? Yeah. Because that's a lot harder to ignore. It is. I can, we you have, can ignore emails all day, right? Oh, yeah, sure. But they can't if you're sitting in front of them. We have uh, – go back to our website, uh, look under our leadership. You'll see Jeremy Daniels. He's in a wheelchair. Uh, he is one of the first burn pit victims and one of the first guys that were working in the burn pits and going sh- what we call going shopping. You know, buy get uniforms out of them. Everything was burned in there from computers to oil to you name it. Everything was burned. And Jeremy – God love him, man. He kept every record, every medical record since day one. This is 20 years of records. And the book that we compiled is probably about, oh, I don't know, about 500 pages thick. It's actually on Google Drive right now. And it does have from the very beginning that doctors in theater at DOD, before he even hit the VA, acknowledged that his complications and his illnesses were actually related and they showed scientific proof through his through, through blood work and all the other tests that it was related to the inhalation of these toxic fumes. And we took it off to Capitol Hill, put it in front of them and say, hey, one of the congressmen we cornered in the hallway with Jeremy in his wheelchair, he just cornered him, look, and pointed it to him. He said, wow, this is the smoking gun. Like, yes, here's your science. Let's do this. Let's take care of veterans like myself. It's hard to really not look at it and go, hey, burning heavy metals and- Yeah, not good. And- all this smoke and trash and everything got tossed in there and go, hey, this weird thing that came out of nowhere. I was burning poop for 12 hours a day, five days know, a week. Right? <laughs> Pretty related. People really know what that's about. Right. Like, know, you know, diesel and, and the and the 55 gallon drums. It's not just Vietnam, folks. OK, no. it does happen all the time. Yeah. But there are a couple of programs. I We don't have a whole lot of time with you left, yeah, but I do I want to talk about a couple more. Sure. The winter survival kits for homeless veterans. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's amazing because um, and that's growing every year that we've been doing it, which is and, so sad. I mean, it's great, but it's sad. Yeah. Yeah, we work a lot with the homeless vets. We have, just in, to the side note, we have approximately just in D.C. proper within the White House capital area, we have about 500 homeless vets living on the streets, 500. Okay, then we have a few hundred more that are what we call VA transitional housing units, which are not the best, but it gets them off the street. Then we have about 1,500 elderly vets who are food insecure, who can't make it through the month. They don't have enough food. And these are guys in their 60s and gals in their 60s and 70s on medications. They need to eat. They need to eat. And they're not. They can't make it through the month. And so our organization, since day, since day one, actually, we started the after we did our Boots on the Round, which is a program collection drive. We also started doing taking care of them as well. So uh, every month we hold uh, we call our Boots on the Round collection drive. We work with the Knights of Columbus giant food stores in our area. We collect food and we bring it to the transitional housing units. We bring it into the streets. We go find vets because we know where they are, bring them meals. We make meals. We bring them food. We bring them toiletries. We go to the transitional housing units 
And we help take care of 1,500 elderly vets as well through the VA. We bring food to the community center and their social workers package that food. We bring them from our collection drives and take it right. We bring it in the back door. They bring it out the front, go right and take it to the vets, elderly vets who are uh, food insecure. So, but yeah, working with homelessness, people don't realize there's an expansion on that, that we have people that are at risk which include our elderly vets and our veterans in transitional housing. So the winter survival kits, while they're fantastic, it happens around Christmas. We get lots of coats, we get lots of gloves, things like that. It helps to draw awareness to the fact we have so many veterans still at risk or who are homeless. And so right now, on another side though, what we're doing is proposing an initiative, which we need help with, which is called Pallet Homes for Homeless Vets. So we want to secure a lot somewhere here in the D.C., Northern Virginia, Maryland area and build pallet homes for veterans to get them off the streets. And uh, So what's a pallet home? Actually, it's, a pallet home is actually built by a company out in Ohio. I believe they're in Ohio. And it's called Pallet Shelters. And they're fantastic. They're self-contained. The heating, air conditioning, you have a little plug for electric, things like that. We can put them together. They come pre-med, or like a prefab. We can put it together in an hour. It's all made of heavy aluminum, so it can be cleaned out, sanitized very quickly. It comes with a rack, or we call it a rack, but it's a bunk, like a bunk bed. And these communities have been popping up. We've been watching them pop up here and there in smaller uh, communities around the country. And so we know that we can do it here because we know we've seen homeless being solved in various places and communities around the country. And we want to be one of those communities to, to reduce or end veteran homelessness in the D.C., Northern Virginia, Maryland area. And so they're like a, a tiny home and it's a, it's a, right, but it's a, put them yeah. together. and Exactly. And put a little community together there where we have social workers, the VA would come in. Uh, we'd be able to provide those services to them. But again, give them a place of stability. That's what they need the most. When you're on the street, you've lost all hope. You've gone down a path now that coming back is, is difficult at best. But you need someone there to pull you back. At least give you a hand up, a fighting chance. And this gives you, if you can put your things someplace, you'll have that stability to say, hey, somebody cares enough about me, right? They cared about the service I gave to this country, but me as a person, then that might be the spark. That might be all they need to regain that self-sense of purpose and desire to want to make something of themselves, to get themselves better again. And not all homeless people and all homeless vets are on drugs or on alcohol. It's just not the case. A lot of them experience situations that the general public will never, ever encounter, whether it was war-related or service-related. You know, the general public has no idea what it means to serve this country and what you have to endure at times. So psychologically, that alone will be enough of an effect to cause instability within a family structure or support system that they may have had which they no longer have, and they have ended up on the streets. So we need to, again, talk about support systems. That needs to be us again. We need to start caring for our brothers and sisters. You know, John, it's, I was talking with some folks, and there is – and this is something that was – I've never been homeless, so I don't know. And they were talking about it is never more expensive to live when you don't have anything. Exactly. And, and I was like, well, what do you mean? I don't have any bills or anything. They're like, everything you do – is mm-hmm. super expensive from buying sure. clothes to buying food. You don't have a place to store it. So you have even getting like a shower yeah. is super hard. 
Sure. How are you going to do it? You're on the right. Street. And so yeah. everything costs more and it's super challenging in getting that stability, at least mm-hmm. where I can store stuff because you're just surviving. Yeah. yeah. How do I mean, you well, get up? Yeah. It's, it's difficult at best because even when we go into the street, our first time's going in looking for them. And it, you have to have a strong stomach for this because you are dealing with people also that are having psychological issues or are on drugs or alcohol, whatever the situation might be. But first thing that struck me most when we started going and finding and bringing meals and food and essentials to vets was the first thing they'd run up to us and ask, what would you think would be the first thing? They've seen us coming. They know we're bringing things. What would you think would be the very first thing they would ask from us? What would you think they would want? So Just I'm going to give you an informed answer, and I'm going to guess socks. Nope. But because I've always heard that socks, because nope. I'm an old soldier, so changing yeah. your socks is key. But I don't think that's the right answer. No, but that's a good one because they do need socks. They need water. They do you have water? Wow. There's no place. Think about it. You have no money. You're in a city. Where do you go get? We well, can't go into a. 7-Eleven, they're not going to get food if there is one. But where are you going to go get water? There's not a house that has a faucet with hose outside that you can go up and get a drink. That's just crazy. essential element. The most essential element of human life is what we are made of is water. And they don't have it. That's the first thing. So now we load up our van with nothing but water. I mean, cases and cases of water. So, John, you guys are doing something really cool. It's the Homeless Veterans Awareness Night. Let's talk about that for a moment. Yeah, we're still applying for our permit to do it in front of the White House. Now that they've taken down all the fencing, the Lafayette Square is now open. So we're putting in an application to do um, a homeless, uh, to raise awareness. It's called a night out to support homeless vets. And we'll be sleeping outside in front of the White House to raise funds for the program and also for our proposed pallet houses, pallet homes for homeless vets but also raise awareness for these vets and get them the services that they need. So some people say, well, you're trying to make sensationalize it. It's not it. What we're trying to do is drive attention to the fact no one's really talking about it, that we have this situation that's pretty, it's a national disgrace, and we're trying to resolve it. And again, we want to be one of the communities across this country that not only reduces homelessness, but ends it. And the only way we can do that is if we get our elected leaders, we get corporations, businesses, no matter who you are as a business, even places of worship to join us and end this. And as a result, we will also end homelessness in general because they'll see what we're doing and hopefully mimic it as well. So So, that's what it draws attention to. So John, we're here in Charlottesville. We have a lot of veterans. If they wanted to go participate or if they want to learn more about your organization, how do they find you and how do they find more information? Oh, wow. Just go to our go to our website. We're pretty proud of that because we keep it. That's our main hub. We keep everything up to date. And right now it's actually being worked on by one of our interns. But go to our website, check out the programs and services, our event page. Uh, there's a contact us page there. Send Please send us an email. Contact us through our website. And we'd love to have anybody from Charlottesville, Virginia, wherever you're listening to this, to please come join us for that event or any of the other events that we're hosting or that we have going on. And we just don't want to leave veterans out on the street anymore. We want to bring them into the war, something they deserve. They deserve our care and compassion. They deserve our support. So if you can come up, take the train up. I love Charlottesville. Uh, University of Virginia had many friends at 
I uh, went there and I still have some friends that live there. And Charlottesville is a wonderful town. Love it there. And I've been going there for the past, I guess, 30 years, knowing people there. So please, I have any Charlottesville friends down there, veterans, civilians, please come up and go to our website. It is just our acronym, which is USASOA.org. And it's pretty easy to remember. Yeah, pretty easy to remember. Everybody knows USA. So just USASOA which is United Soldiers and Sailors of America. And we're going to get it on the social media. You'll be able to see the organization and learn about all these. And there's a lot more that you guys do. And so you can click on programs and services and see all these awesome programs. We've been talking with John Yori. He's the president of United Soldiers and Sailors of America. I'm just so impressed with this organization. Go check them out. It's USASOA.org. But before I let you go, John, I have one question. What should I have asked you about but didn't? Well, that's a good question. I think... Probably how we can partner together, organizations, how civilians, and how can better, how can civilians, which includes organiza- other organizations like the Moose Club, Elks Club, those sort of things, includes places of worship, includes businesses and corporations. How can we work more closely with veteran service organizations and people? How can we engage each other? Because I think that's where we solve a lot of our problems, because there is a disconnect between the civilian and the military and veteran communities. And that's part of what we also try to do is bring all that together under one umbrella. And I think, again, we say one mission, one fight. But if we we start the opening up a little bit more and saying, hey, we need all inclusivity in this to, to accomplish resolving the issues and challenges that face the military and veterans, because they're on the front line. They're protecting our freedom. You know, we wouldn't be here without them. And uh, so they deserve, again, deserve our care, comfort and support, but we need the partnership. So it's even ever more important these days that we get businesses and corporations and those people that have the wherewithal, the financing and the ability to help get involved, get more involved. You can do more. We can all do more. John, thank you so much for sharing your organization. I, I am so impressed. There's so many organizations I talk to, but this one's like, dead on the most critical needs that often get overlooked or quite frankly, folks go, that's too hard and throw up to their hands. Yeah. Well, I think they jump right in. Everybody does their best. (laughs) They do. And it's, and it's really hard because there's a lot of things people need. Right. A lot of things veterans need everything from finding a job to not being end up on the street to getting mental health care, to being able to find a buddy to talk to peer to peer or getting mental health counseling. I mean, we talked to a lot of different organizations and they do awesome work, but you guys are like doing this big umbrella. If we can't help you, we could probably find somebody who can. So just give us a call. John, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure uh, being with you this evening and I look forward to perhaps talking again soon. Absolutely. I'd love to talk with you. And as we get closer to the Homeless Veterans Awareness Night, let's get together and do a promo or do something to get that that out so people are aware of it. And even if you can't participate, you can certainly let other folks know and go, hey, this is a problem and we can help solve this problem together. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. Thank you. Thank you again, Tyler. 
Hey folks, Tyler here at Coming Home Well. I wanted to give a big shout out to our sponsor, BetterHelp, for sponsoring our podcast. As a veteran-related podcast, we cover a lot of sensitive topics and difficult issues that our military service members face when they return home from war. One of the biggest challenges vets often face is the isolation of today's culture. Nine out of ten times, we prefer just to stay home. Maneuvering through all the chaos in today's society can be debilitating. So reaching out to someone who is qualified to help can be a starting point in moving forward. And that's why I'm proud to announce our connection with BetterHelp.com. That's Better, H-E-L-P.com. BetterHelp.com is one of the leaders in online counseling and will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. So that's a great opportunity to talk to someone and you don't even have to leave your own couch to go sit on someone else's. If you go to betterhelp.com slash coming home well, you can be connected to a therapist in under 48 hours. If you're not comfortable talking over the phone, you could start by texting. They have video chat options, real time options, and you can meet weekly at the discretion of the counselor. Now, this is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. It is someone who's trained in handling veterans' issues and can help you tackle that mountains of struggles together rather than alone. If you go to betterhelp.com slash coming home well, you'll be automatically put in for a discount code of 10% off of your first month of therapy. If you don't see the 10% put on automatically, just put in the discount code coming home well, as this will also get your 10% off. If you're experiencing financial hardships, let them know. There is financial aid available in the form of an extra discount. Again, that is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com backslash coming home well, all one word. They are great at what they do, and what they do is help us veterans to come home well. Thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. Until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well.